0: welcome to episode 10 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and today's episode will be a reaction. It's a reaction to a speech made by the Equalities Minister, Kemi Badenoch, in Parliament this week. And her speech was basically a condemnation of critical race theory and race relations in this country at the moment and the way they're going. And I would firstly like to say that, you know, Kemi's obviously a black woman and There is this narrative sometimes that black people are homogenous, we're the same, we are to have the same views, we are to want the same things in life. And that is definitely not the case. So we would just like to dismiss that kind of idea and argument just off the jump and just express that everyone is entitled to a different opinion. I think when opinions start to threaten people's way of living, their safety and their freedom, that is where we take issue. Um, But for now, This is her opinion. Um, This is based off of her research, her experience in life. Um, And I'm just going to go through and kind of break down some of her arguments because I have I take many issues with them. Um, Based on Kemi's speech, she would pretty much um, condemn this whole podcast, everything I stand for. We are quite on opposing ends of the spectrum when it comes to race relations, um, the teaching of history and culture in this country. Um, but she's an mp and i'm not i'm just here podcasting um and so i'm going to react to to her speech i'm going to take like little clips um and go through it and explain you know why i disagree Um, and there are things i agree with so you know the reasons why i agree but also just break down this idea of critical race theory because you know the foundations of Kemi's speech is this idea that Um, teachers and in, in the education system and in british society the left is pushing this critical race theory agenda now most people i've spoken to don't even know what critical race theory is so i don't know how sex how successful sorry um they are if you know a majority of people don't even know what critical race theory is um but you know that's her that's her opinion that's what she's arguing but I would just like to explain what critical race theory is, just so you, you know, and we're all on the same page. And also to note that, you know, I didn't even know what critical race theory was until earlier this year. I understand, you know, the principles and what it states, um, but didn't know what that term meant and that kind of argument and idea. And well, it's a theory. Um, So it kind of came out of America, like most things do, um, emerging in the 1980s from a law professor, a black law professor at Harvard, um, Derek Bell. And he was looking specifically at the legal system and highlighting the disparity of treatment between um, cases between, you know, the civil rights movements and racial injustices. And in basically looking at the way the law kind of had not necessarily white people in its favour, but how it kind of was disproportionately working against uh, black people. Black people specifically, I think now it's been kind of extended to other racial groups um, and people that aren't white, essentially. But it really did start with black people because it was looking at it within the context of civil rights movements. So it basically kind of argues that the practices in law and wider society tend to result in racist outcomes because of systems of white supremacy that are set up. And so in the UK, you know, this kind of gets trickled in, but I think we understand it better as institutional racism, but it is not the same thing. But I would say institutional racism is kind of an offshoot of critical race theory, where we're looking at how institutions have been built up historically um, and favor outcomes that are preferential to white people as opposed to black people. And so, you know, it kind of, the term institutional racism comes into to public discourse um, after the murder of Stephen Lawrence. And then Sir William McPherson, who does the McPherson report in 1997, which states that the Metropolitan Police is institutionally racist. And this is kind of where that term comes into public discourse and you know the Met are obviously unhappy with that and try to have that overturned. Similarly to the Mangrove Nine case, um not that they were called institutionally racist, but that it was said that the police um had racial prejudice um and acted with racial prejudice, as did the protesters. And so these terms kind of come into public discourse from there. So we're going to hear the first clip from the Black History Month debate. And Kemi is replying to, I think, other speeches that are made prior to this. Um, I don't have those speeches. This podcast would be hours long if we did. Uh, But just in the context, she is replying to comments and points that have been made by other members of Parliament. Um, And so she's not just kind of, you know, ranting or rambling on. She is responding to things that have been said prior.
1: And here is the first clip. Education is the key to our mission as a government to level up and spread opportunity to everyone, whatever their background.
0: So here we've got education you know, being the key to level people up, being some kind of equaliser. That's absolutely all well and good, but following the GCSE and A-level scandal of the summer, mm, do I believe it? Probably not. But, you know, that makes sense as a basis for this speech. Understandable. I can, I, can, I can work with it.
1: Many members have said they want more black history taught, but they don't seem to be aware of what is actually on the curriculum. Our curriculum is not the curriculum of 50, 40 or even 20 years ago. Children today are able to learn about the British Empire and colonialism, about the transatlantic slave trade and its abolition, and of how our history has been shaped by people of all ethnicities, as well as having the opportunities to study non-European cultures, such as Mughal India or the Benin Empire, which is where my ancestors...
0: Okay, so this is kind of referencing this idea, something I speak about all the time of you know the curriculum being more diverse in regards to what we're studying i tend to only speak about this on a kind of historical level as in what is being taught in history departments and english lit because i feel like that is all i kind of remember from school and i think they're probably the easiest subjects to decolonize um we'll go on to talk about decolonization shortly but This idea that, you know, the curriculum has changed from 20, 30 years ago. Well, I mean, I went to school, I think I did my GCSEs about seven years ago, maybe a little bit more. um, And studying empire, colonialism, transatlantic slave trade and abolition. I don't really see that as majorly progressive. Um, This idea that all of those, those four things I've just listed are points in history where black people are inferior to white people. You know, in empire, in colonialism, of course in slavery um, and in abolition because the way that abolition is taught it's not taught in the way that gives agency to the enslaved people who created uprisings and rebellions and overthrew countries. In the case of Haiti, they literally overthrew the French and took over the island as enslaved people. We don't learn abolition like that. We learn about William Wilberforce and we give power to these great moral, you know, individuals that ended slavery because it was oh so bad, um, as opposed to giving any agency to the people that were enslaved, which is a way of decolonizing the curriculum and a way that has been suggested, which it which allows a shift in the narrative um and for it to essentially get told from a different point of view. So I mean I personally don't see the curriculum right now as that progressive. Yes, you learn about black people, but yes, um they're all in a position of subordination. And I don't think that is particularly uplifting or inspiring for young black children. And I don't think it portrays black people in a very fair or positive light um, for for any other child um, that's going through the British education system.
1: However, what we are against is the teaching of contested political ideas as if they are accepted facts. We don't do this with communism. We don't do this with socialism. We don't do it with capitalism. And I want to speak about a dangerous trend in race relations that has come far too close to home to my life. And it is the promotion of critical race theory, an ideology that sees my blackness as victimhood and their whiteness as oppression. I want to be absolutely clear. This government stands unequivocally against critical race theory.
0: This government stands unequivocally against the use of critical race theory. She's made it very clear. She's not having it. I'd just like to give some some clarifications this is from the university of birmingham their um like page on critical race theory because they have quite a few lecturers there um that um specifically focus on critical race theory in the social sciences whether that be like education or sociology um and just i'm gonna take literally a clip from it it says contrary to some of the depictions on twitter Because I think in society, across the board, we take a lot of information from Twitter and it's not always the people that are most qualified that are, you know, giving out this advice. And so it goes on to say, you know, despite depictions on Twitter, talk shows and even in Parliament, (laughs) critical race theory does not view all white people as evil and racist. Critical race theory does not peddle a view of black people as powerless victims and critical race theory does not imagine that racism is the only social problem and thereby erase issues of class, gender, disability and other forms of discrimination. Critical race theory is a thoughtful and multifaceted approach to understanding how racism operates through society, including on both individual actions and through structural processes that shape the everyday reality in education, health service, criminal justice system and politics. So interestingly also, um, you know, it's said that she doesn't want the teaching of things like critical race theory, as you know, they are contested political ideas, and she doesn't want them taught as if they're facts. Now, I don't know a single person. Please, if you if I am wrong, send me a message, comment, tweet me. I don't know a single person that has learned critical race theory in school as if it was law. I've or like the the you know the the truth and not just a theory. I don't know anyone that's even been taught critical race theory in school, and I know a lot of teachers and i I asked them you know um in preparation for this this episode and i said like how how do you teach race then at school you know when what subjects does it come up in and I was told it doesn't really come up in like you know normal curriculum subjects, but in maybe a lesson like p s h e or um like p d days I don't know what they're called now um and especially you know in in light of of recent events um with the Black Lives Matter movement and protests that have happened, young people and children are asking these questions um, more and more and they're hearing terms on social media, on the news, maybe with their parents and they want, they have answers and I don't really know of a teacher that would, you know, sit a child down and, and tell them that all all black people are victims and all white people are the oppressors of, of racial discrimination and evil and of, of course I'm exaggerating but I don't understand the connection she's made with what's happening in schools and what she wants to happen in schools because I don't think anyone is actually doing that right now. And so fair enough if she's saying she doesn't ever want this to happen, that's absolutely fine. But no one's doing this. So, or I mean, maybe people are. I'm not in every school. Um, But she believes it's a dangerous trend in, in race relations to be promoting critical race theory. Despite the fact that there is, you know, decades of 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 evidence and research that have gone into to critical race theory and the ideas that it presents um, and have suggested them to be true. I could name so many racial equalities. I'm not going to go through them all today. But, I mean, COVID-19 you know the social and healthcare inequalities that have been exacerbated by this pandemic are very clear within society there are black women who are what, five times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts in the UK these aren't issues in you know majority black countries you know they're issues in this country and in in the western world so clearly, I don't know, that there must be something in this theory. Maybe maybe I'm missing missing something. We'll continue listening to her speech. We'll take a second point. You know. If you have any comments or if you're if you're baffled by any of this, please please comment. Please send me a message, um, Instagram, Twitter.
1: Some schools have decided to openly support the anti capitalist Black Lives Matter group, often fully aware that they have a statutory duty to be politically impartial.
0: This is one of the points I really wanted to bring up, um, this idea of Black Lives Matter um, being an anti-capitalist capitalist group and, you know, schools, you know, politically have a kind of duty, legality to, to remain impartial, which is absolutely fine. You know, teachers shouldn't really be pushing their political views on pupils. That makes sense to me. Um, but I, I do think there's um, quite a big disparity with the Black Lives Matter movement, which is essentially being adopted out of America and the organisation, which, again, has also been adopted out of America. And I think the movement, you know, Black Lives Matter, as a slogan, which is literally saying, you know, please can you acknowledge us as black people because at the moment our lives in different institutions in different ways are in danger. Our existence is not as good or as it's not equal um, to our white counterparts and other other people within society. Please can you acknowledge that wider society? Can Black Lives Matter? That's what the movement means. It means to me. um, And that is what I think it means to most people. The organisation, I haven't done too much research on it. um, But, you know, I am aware it's an anti-capitalist movement, which obviously, you know, as a Conservative MP, that's going against her politically. So she has a vested interest not to support it. However, I do think this whole bashing of of the Black Lives Matter organisation... It is never just the organisation. No one ever says the words organisation. It's just, oh, Black Lives Matter. And I think that is quite dangerous and can be sometimes quite damaging. And I think it sends the wrong message to society because Black Lives Matter as as a movement is already so contested. You know, the, the first response of most people or not most, you know, I hope, of a lot of people is, all lives matter. Why about everybody else? What about this group? What about that group? And that's absolutely fine. You know, there are other groups that are suffering in different ways um, and they they deserve their movements too. But this movement was specifically for black people, um, obviously born in America. And sorry, born out of America and the, the struggle with racial equality there, especially regarding police brutality. Um But yeah, I think this idea of kind of bashing it as a whole sometimes sends um, the wrong message. But again, I understand her sentiment because I've always believe that you know schools should be impartial with what they teach politically and um, that's always always made sense to me.
1: Black lives do matter of course they do but we know that the Black Lives Matter movement capital BLM is political. I know this because at the height of the protest I saw white black lives well, I, I've been told of white Black Lives Matters protesters calling and I'm afraid, uh, I apologise for saying this word, calling a black armed police officer guarding Downing Street a pet nigger. That is why we do not endorse that movement. So,
0: Black Lives Matter, capital BLM, is a political movement. Oh my gosh, I'm so shocked, I didn't realise. And the reason that, you know, it's not being supported is because one protester used a racial slur towards a black policeman at a protest. And that is the reason why Kemi can't get on board with Black Lives Matter, capital BLM. That, to me, is a horrific reason. Obviously, that is just completely unacceptable for anybody to be shouting racial slurs at anybody doing their job. But, realistically, that is just not even adding up, is it? How can you judge a whole movement of hundreds of thousands of people that went out to protest based off of the actions of one person who may not have been affiliated with the movement because, as you know, in protests, everyone with an axe to grind at government or the system came out in full force doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing. And so the fact that she's used this one example to, like, somehow, I don't know, derail the whole movement and paint it as bad... Is really poor. It's a poor argument. There is absolutely no strength to it. And I think this is probably the weakest thing she says in her whole thing. I mean, there's some things she said which are just factually inaccurate, but this is really weak. And also, it just doesn't really make sense. I don't understand why Black Lives Matter being a political movement is a problem. Why can't there be alternative political movements in this country? You know, the 2 party system, uh, is it really working for the majority of people here? I don't know. You tell me. A lot of people aren't very happy. However, again, these are our opinions, and <laughs> let's move on because I really don't know what else to say about it. She, you literally uses the example of one protester, and don't get me wrong, I'm taking like bits out of context, but I've listened to this whole speech about six times, and she doesn't like you know say more about this. She doesn't do any better with her explanation. This is this is literally it.
1: We do not want to see teachers teaching their white pupils about white privilege and inherited racial guilt, and let me be clear. Any school which teaches these elements of critical race theory as fact or which promotes partisan political views such as defunding the police without offering a balanced treatment of opposing views is breaking the law.
0: So essentially, here she's saying that, you know, if if white privilege is being taught in schools, then it needs to be taught as a theory, not fact. Um, And this idea that, like, you know, if you're going to talk about a movement such as like abolish the police, defund the police, then it needs to be taught and addressed as being part of you know an, an option shall we, or not even an option really just as as a part of a balanced argument of you know this is what some people see wrong with society and here is one of their solutions but here are other solutions that other people are are giving she just she wants balance apparently so i thought i would explain what white privilege is just just so that we're all on the same page here um so white privilege is a societal privilege benefits white people over non-white people in some societies, particularly if they are otherwise under the same social, political and economic circumstances. I've never understood why people struggle so much with white privilege. It's not that crazy of a concept, um, to understand. And I remember first learning about white privilege in school, not from a teacher, (laughs) but I think it was when, Trayvon Martin was killed, or it might have been Mike Brown, or Philando Castillo. or, or Sandra Rand, or Eric Garner. I don't remember. Um, I feel like there have been so many. And yes, they've occurred in America, not in Britain, but, you know, they still had an impact on on us as as schoolgirls. And I remember it came up in a debate in my sixth-form English class um, as to, to why this was happening to black men. and and not really white men and you know there were arguments brought up of well you know maybe it's happening to white men and it's just not on the news we're not seeing that um but then someone checked the statistics and you know black men were disproportionately being killed and black women sorry to erase them um and so you know conversations about about white privilege um started to unravel in our class and i think i think my teacher told us to get on with our work because (laughs) It was A-level and we used to always have these debates where we would spiral into into the most like random topics and we would get very little work done. And so, you know, not to actually to sh- shut down the conversation about white privilege, did she say that, but I think it was more to just get us back on track with our work. Um, but she didn't really get involved in that conversation. I don't think she was really listening. I just generally think she wanted us to do our work. But I've never been taught about white privilege in school, I don't know how many teachers, you know, slip it into their lessons or, or whisper it to, to a kid and say, look, <laughs> white privilege is real. I just, I don't, I don't know if that's the reality and don't get me wrong, I'm not in every school, as I've said, but it would be interesting to see how she feels that this is being taught in schools um, and, you know, why it is, is such an issue.
1: Members have mentioned the police. Our history is our own, it's not America's. Too often, those who comp- campaign against racial inequality import wholesale in narrative and assumptions that have nothing to do with this country's uh, history and have no place on these islands. OK,
0: absolutely. I just mentioned a lot of people that were killed by police in America and Kemi said, leave that to the Americans. It's not our fight. Don't need to speak about it here. Um, well, obviously, she's not saying that, but her point stands, you know, that our fight with racial inequalities in this country, Um, it shouldn't be conflated with America's. And, you know, I always say we should be focusing on Black British history. We often learn about America. We learn about American history. Um, It's forced down our throats to to a point because, you know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks um, were some of the only black people I learned about in school. Um, And they weren't even in a classroom setting. I mean, like, in an assembly or or something like that. And she definitely has a point, um, but... I don't really feel like when it came to the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK, people weren't just protesting on the streets uh, for the Americans and for what was happening in America. You know, disproportionate stop and search numbers in this country have been a persistent issue for, I think, most of my lifetime. I don't remember a time where they weren't an issue. Um... You know the over policing of, of black communities i'll say it again it's still a problem this country has its own set of racial inequalities and issues and you know to suggest that the only reason that people might be involved in, in black lives matter movements within the uk is to fight for america you know whilst we are standing in solidarity with our, our you know black brothers and sisters over there Um, there are problems here and this idea that this country is not racist or the least racist is not, you know, it's not comfort. It's not, it's not a good thing. You know, if, if you're something, we're speaking about something as terrible as racism. Why would you just want to be the least racist? If you're the least racist, you know, in the words of Dave, you're still racist.
1: On the history of black people in Britain, again, our history of race is not America's history of race. Most black British people who have come to our shores were not brought here in chains, but came voluntarily. Due to their connections to the UK and in search of a better life, I should know I am one of them. So,
0: yeah, echoing the idea that, you know, our history is not America's history. Black people in America arrived in America in a very different way than they did in this country. Um, we have, and I think with this country, there's a kind of a special bond with ethnic, ethnic minorities, for want of a better word. Um, we have a shared history of immigration in this country, um, whereas... In America, um, it, it was, you know, the enslavement of, of African people that, that ended up with black people in America now. And so I understand that we shouldn't, you know, conflate these issues. However, the same outcomes have occurred because the same racism that America perpetrate is, was birthed in the British Empire, America was a British colony. And American people, white people in America, if you trace their line, you know, as far back as you can go, you'll go back to Europe. So the same european colonizers that colonized the caribbean colonized america and the offshoot of that and the descendants of that racism it still lives on today it it, to me it's the same thing it's
1: just got a different head lesson number two black history is not the history of institutional racism so
0: i'm going to assume she's talking about black british history because obviously black history is as a wider thing it it's literally starts at the beginning of time and of course institutional racism was not a thing then so no you are correct kemi in that sense but if we are talking about black british history then i beg to differ there is a lot of institutional racism within black um, british history especially in the uh post-war era so 1948 onwards Windrush generation mangrove nine oval four there are many, many cases of s of, of state based racism. Um, you know, the Stephen Lawrence murder, Met Police being called institutionally racist. We could go on. Um but prior to that, you know, there were communities of black people in Britain prior to to the Windrush, prior to the First World War even, um, you know, there were communities in Liverpool and um cities, literally cities all over the, the country had smatterings of black people a lot smaller um than we saw in the post-war era but you know african people have been in in this country since the third century and so yeah okay that that you know those um interactions you know didn't really have institutional racism within them i don't think they've even been studied in that way for us to know but in the more modern era 40s 48 onwards i think that was the case that there was a lot of institutional racism and a lot of the activism a lot of the contributions that black people made to society were tackling those systems that were you know in place to oppress them. it
1: is not true as the member for liverpool riverside said that african history was interrupted by slavery as probably the only member of this house who actually grew up and went to school in africa i can tell you that's not what we're taught much more is taught about the history of black slave traders who existed before and after the transatlantic slave trade. In fact, the most notable statue in the city of Lagos, where I grew up, is that of Madame Tinobu. It's the biggest one. It's now equivalent to Trafalgar Square. She was a slave trader, but she was also a freedom fighter and a much-loved icon. Her slave trading is not celebrated, but her fight against colonisers is. In Nigeria, she's recognised as a complex character as all historical figures are and heaven help anyone who would try to pull her statue down. There is much that we can learn from Nigeria about how to handle the issue of statues.
0: I'm telling you now, no offence, but I don't want to be on any side with anybody that is learning anything from Nigeria's government right now. I really don't think that was the right comparison to use or the right example, but obviously she's Nigerian, has to use what she she knows. Um, So that statue, of Madam Tinubu, um that is in um Tinubu square in Lagos um i had a quick google because i was like oh i wonder i wonder if people want to pull that statue down and they do they really do there's articles about it there's tweets about it like oh like that statue <laughs> um and so i think maybe maybe her her circles uh, that she she navigates herself in don't want to take that statue down but it doesn't mean there aren't circles that do there are questions being asked you know We've seen statues come down in the UK, in America, all over the world. And you know, these questions are being asked. Um, yeah, she she was a freedom fighter. Yeah, she was a slave trader. human beings are complex. Um, Kami's not wrong when she says that. Um, and historical figures are human beings, they are complex people, they might not all be good or all be bad, and I think that's for a country to decide um what kind of people they want to put on pedestals. Um and you know, maybe maybe Nigeria is okay with that. That's absolutely fine. But people in Britain, people that live here that pay their taxes, they didn't want to see statues of slave traders anymore, and so they took them down. So what can you say? What can you do? Um, I would also like to make the point to quote Eric Williams, um, one of my favourite historians. He said, speaking on slavery, a racial twist has thereby been given to what is basically an economic phenomenon. Slavery was not born out of racism, rather racism was a consequence of slavery so he's obviously saying that you know African people weren't used for transatlantic slavery because of a racist society or racism at the time because there were obviously African slave traders now he's not saying that you know the two aren't linked because he believes racism is a consequence of slavery so and this is what I also agree with transatlantic slavery birthed such a, a strong societal um, set up when it came to black and white people and how they navigated society together in the way that black people were um, subordinate and enslaved. And sorry, I should say African um, because, you know, they weren't they weren't racialized as black at that point. Um, and and white people were, were their superiors. And the Caribbean, as an example, and, you know, the Antebellum South in America, they are literally societies that are, are founded on these principles of, of inequality. And so to to suggest that, you know, um, slavery didn't uh, interrupt African history. Well, it definitely did because it, it changed the racial dynamic. It displaced millions of people on a level that no other kind of slavery had ever seen historically this like was completely different i would say and it lasted for so long and obviously you know within different civilizations slavery lasted a long time um different types of people have been enslaved um historically from the beginning of time but the transatlantic slavery i think it was so persistent and um so present in the literal founding of nations in this in this world that it it has a deeper and longer lasting impact and and I think by suggesting that it, it doesn't it really erases this history and I think that you know one of the ways to decolonize that history is to actually explore um how slavery shaped racial dynamics within society in different countries and contexts and yeah I think Kenny's really really erasing and disregarding that which I'm not a fan of I kind of mentioned this earlier on in the uh, episode but i think i want to leave it as a as a parting and final point within this this podcast when certain people mention the fact that africans were also slave traders um as well as europeans it's often used as a way i think of digressing and diverting um the narrative away from some of the atrocities that european people committed obviously You know, the major narrative is that, is that um, European uh, colonizers, you know, went over and colonized Africa and then kidnapped people and transported them across the world in in despicable and horrific conditions. Um, But whenever we speak about like black people, African people that that were slave traders, I feel like I wish there was just as much energy for the african people you know that that stood on the shores um as the ships went out and committed suicide and took the lives of of each other so that they would not and and their peers would not face the um the the middle passages and have to get on those ships there were so many african people that that made that sacrifice um of their own lives um in order for their for their countrymen not to to go through what they believed was about to be horrific and awful and it doesn't um, really give credit to the people that you know once they arrived in these situations um, enslaved in in lands that they didn't know they resisted and resisted and resisted the Nat Turners, the Sam Sharps, the Paul Bogles that literally overthrew um, plantation owners, um, Toussaint L'Overture, of Haiti and the Haitian Revolution, he they essentially, you know, with with organization, with armies, with with the use of of you know their spiritual beliefs, they overthrew France uh, with the help of Britain and other colonizers. They aren't spoken about with the same energy that we give to African slave traders. That in certain discourses isn't the same energy given to to those that resisted um, and successfully resisted at all costs to be, to be taken, uh, into, into slavery. I think that's all, you know, all the, all the reaction I have in me, um, to that speech. Um, it's interesting because the way it kind of felt on Twitter, um, with critical race theory trending for most of Tuesday and Wednesday, um, was this idea that this speech was, was very much centered around critical race theory and while she condemns it, um, I feel like she had many issues um with with some of the the demands made by the opposition um in the debate prior to to her speech, but I think that's definitely enough for politics for today, and I definitely think we're gonna resume the historical lessons next week um but it's been nice to to maybe look at some of the applications of of history in modern modern and current society and you know some of the conversations that are happening on really big platforms and so i hope you've enjoyed this episode um and i hope you'll be joining me next week we'll be going back i think into some history lessons um i hope you have a wonderful week um i think these last few weeks have been have been tough on a lot of people um so please look out for yourselves look out for your family your friends um and you know the people you know on social media maybe um make sure you're you're resting um and taking time away from your phones and from all the the ugliness that's happening happening in the world right now um there's a lot going on so so keep your keep your peace um at your core and protect it um and have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening goodbye